All right, good morning. Let's pray as we open up God's Word. Well, Father in heaven, we come together this morning grateful for the gift of your Word. We thank you for the gift of of your church and for the opportunity we have to gather together to hear from you. And we do pray to Lord that you would speak to us now through your word. Help us, Lord, to see what it is that you call us to. Fathers, we seek to grow in Christ likeness as we seek to uh, grow in our faith to better uh, and more increasingly reflect your glory to the world. Help us to do that by speaking to us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, flip over to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. I'm going to read starting in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, What does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Welcome to the fourth class of our Growing in Christ series. Uh, This morning we're focused on the community of growth. I have a love-hate relationship with exercise. I love the idea of it. I hate the getting up early and the doing of it. Uh, on my own, I can, skimp, I can skip it all together or I can skimp on the workouts and say, oh, that's enough. I, I looked at the weights or I looked at the road to run on this morning and that is sufficient. I feel sufficiently exercised. Uh, but I have, a, uh, I have this friend named Tim that uh, the, the season of my life when I had the, the most consistent exercise, and that's not this season by far, uh, was when my friend Tim Payne lived just a few houses down from me. And Tim... Uh, would come over every morning and exercise with me. And there was no skipping exercise day when Tim came to the house. He, he would mock me endlessly if I didn't show up. Or if, I, if we did show up, but I was trying to skimp on the workout, he would mock me endlessly in the middle of it. And so 
my friend Tim pushed me and challenged me and helped me do more than I could do on my own. Well, the Apostle Paul says that exercise has some value in life, but that godliness has value in every way because he says that it holds promise for the present life, but also for the life to come. And so our need for others and our walk for God is written into our DNA. We simply cannot grow in godliness all on our own. So I've got three observations this morning from Ephesians 4. The first is that growth in godliness is a community project. It's a community project. Ephesians 4.1 calls us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. The goal here is godliness. What we're called to is to reflect who God is in our lives. And we're called to grow together toward maturity. The call here isn't to individuals. A lot of times we can read these letters, uh, we can read the Bible as individuals, as if it was written specifically to me and only to me. And so we read it in an individualistic sense that I am called to grow in godliness. And that's true. But the call here is not to individuals, but to the church. The language is second person plural. When I uh, studied Greek, and I don't know Greek, but I've studied Greek, uh, my Greek grammar, I remember distinctly as a Texan sitting in uh, my Bible college class, uh, that the professor in my Greek grammar said that a better translation would be, uh, instead of you, instead of, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, I ur- he said that the better translation would be, y'all. I urge y'all to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And as good Texan, I said, Amen. Yeehaw, come on. So it's second person plural language. The call here is to the church. We together are called to grow in godliness. That's how we're called to grow. When Paul talks about change, he's talking about the body of Christ as a whole, not simply individual Christians here and there. It's the Christian church together that makes us a compelling community, a compelling witness to the watching world. It's when they see us together, living our life together, the way that we love one another and care for one another and bear one another's burdens and help each other grow, that makes the beauty of the gospel very visible to the world. And so you see this corporate call explicitly in the way he calls us to walk in unity and to speak, uh, speak the truth to one another in love. He calls us the body of Christ, which is obviously something that we can't be on our own. The hand can't say to the foot, I have no need of you, or the foot to the head, that you're of no purpose. We together make up the body of Christ. And so we need one another. We can't be mature on our own. You cannot grow to be more like Christ all on your own. Fellowship with other Christians isn't an optional add-on, or as Jeff Packer said, a spiritual luxury to add to your Christian life. Rather, it is a vital aspect of your walk with God. The church will flourish only when we are walking in close fellowship with one another. That's when we'll flourish. The theologian who is, who is now with the Lord, R.C. Sproul, says this. I, I love the way that he phrases this. He says, It is both foolish and wicked to suppose that we will make much progress in sanctification. Sanctification is growth in godliness. Uh, if we isolate ourselves from the visible church. Indeed, it is commonplace to hear people declare that they don't need to unite with a church in order to be a Christian. They claim that their devotion is personal and private, not institutional or corporate. This, however, is not the testimony of the great saints of history. Rather, it is the confession of fools. I love that. R.C. Sproul, the confession of fools, he says. So the church is God's context for change. 
And we want to think about that because there's books on sanctification and holiness and walking with God out there that you know, might have a picture of a, of a person walking alone on a beach. And this is the picture of what it means to walk with God. Well, certainly we have our own personal, individual relationship with God, but we do that in context. We do that in community with the body of Christ. The church is God's intended context for change. He never intended for us to live our lives isolated from or independent of other Christians. Through committed participation in the local church, we find instruction and encouragement. We find uh, correction and opportunities to press on toward maturity in Christ. The church is a better place for growth than a counselor's office. The church is a better place for growth than going to a retreat center or a topically focused therapy group. That's, that's significant because oftentimes when we, when we think that we need help and we think we need counsel, we think of a professional counselor and we, and we ask for a professional counselor in a particular area. And professional counselors are valuable in certain respects. But our instincts shouldn't, shouldn't immediately go that we want to benefit from the body of Christ. This is how uh, God has made us to grow. I love the fact that uh, I have a, a dear friend who, uh, who set up a number of counseling offices in Austin. And it's a, he's a Christian counselor, so he's, it's part of a church. And he said that his goal would be for, that, for those counseling offices not to exist. He said, we, we exist because people think instinctively of going to a professional counselor. He said, but really what most people need, now there's need for some types of specific counseling. You know, but he said, most often, what we need is a friend. We need a brother. We need a sister in Christ who we can grab coffee with and say, hey, can I sit down with you for an hour and talk to you about some of the things that I'm walking through? Can you help me think through this from a godly perspective? So we need the body of Christ. It's in the church that Christ gives us gifts for the purpose of growing together in full maturity. It's in the church that we get to grasp the love of Christ together with all the saints as it says in Ephesians 3.18. So every time that we gather, whether on Sunday morning or in community groups, whether it's uh, at youth group or grabbing coffee or a meal with one another, uh, with another brother or sister in Christ, we give people the opportunity to talk about what God has been doing in their lives. We have the opportunity to talk about what God is doing in our lives. We get to draw them out and hear what's weighing on their soul or ways that God has answered a particular prayer, ways that they've found comfort in God's Word or opportunities that they've had for evangelism. We get to hear what, how they're struggling with temptation. When we do this, we are reinforcing for one another our common belief in a God who is alive and active among us and able to help. It's in the church that God gives us gifts for the purpose of building one another up. Do you pay attention to why the gifts are given? If you go to 1 Corinthians you know, 12 through 14, this magnificent passage uh, extolling the importance of the spiritual gifts that God gives us, the reason that he gives them to us is for the building up of the church. It's not for personal edification primarily. It's for corporate Edification, corporate building up of the church. Look with me at verse 16 here. It says, The whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Listen to the conditional aspect of this verse. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
it doesn't just happen when we do it on our own. It says when each, work, when each part is working properly. Brothers and sisters, what this tells us is that we all have a part to play in the body of Christ. We all have a part to play in displaying the beauty of God in the church. We need one another in order to have a healthy, growing body. This means that everyone else in the church needs you. This means that you need everyone else in the church. No one is indispensable. God did not create a church of just random, randomly put together people and say, yeah, why don't you jump in and you jump in? No, He, he designed this church and He's added people to the church for a particular purpose. We need, we need to help others grow and we need to let others help us grow. So here's another reason that growth and godliness is a community project. Have you ever... Have you ever grown weary of speaking the truth to someone in a particular area where you meet with them? Maybe it's in a community group setting or, or an individual setting and you're, there's a few of you gathered and you're, and you're talking and you just think, man, I've, I've said everything I've got to say. I'm not sure what else is going to do. And then somebody else jumps in and they, and they continue on and they add a new aspect. And you think, oh, wow, that's, that's great. I, I hadn't thought of that. I'm so glad they jumped in or I'm just, I'm just weary. I'm just feeling fatigued here in this moment. And this person jumped in and helped. That's the body of Christ coming together. Together we are stronger. But what about the leaders that God provides? What about the pastors and teachers and evangelists? Aren't they the ones that are called to do the building up and the ministry? Aren't they the ones that are called to do the work of the ministry? Well, if you look with me at verses 11 and 12, pay attention to what it says here. It says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So, the leaders don't do all the work of ministry. What is it that the leaders do? They equip the saints. That's their role, is to equip God's people for the work of ministry. It's all of God's people who work together to build up the body of Christ. That's you and me. That's every one of us. That's our role. We work with one another. We work for one another so that together we can be mature and like Christ. The fact is that we all have a part to play in the church. It means that um, this isn't, as I said, a, a random collection of Christians, but a specifically designed body in which we all have a role. And that changes the way that I view every single person in this church, as you walk through the hall this morning, as you walk into the sanctuary this morning, as you look around and you see people, as you gravitate you know, toward your particular group of friends, don't bypass people and think that they're of, of no significance for you. We have our, our groups of friends, you know, certainly, but we want to be aware that every person in this body has a role to play in my life. And so I want to make it part of my ambition to learn the stories of those in my church. I want to learn the stories. I want to learn what makes you tick. What is it that you're passionate about? How do you see God at work in your life? Recognizing that God has placed this person in my life for my good, to help me grow in maturity. So every person in this church, I need them all. Another great thing about life and community, this one's fun, is that as we heard about idols in our life a few weeks ago, in community, one of the things that you notice is that people tend to step on your idols, don't they? They tend to walk on your idols and you become aware of them because they press your buttons and things start to arise in us 
that we recognize the impatience and the frustration and the annoyance. Uh, and that helps us identify those idols and get to work on destroying those idols. The idols, that is, not the people. See, God is using different people of the church, the different personalities to help you grow in godliness. He uses the difficult people, the annoying people, the sinful people, and He calls each of us to play a particular role, specifically of speaking the truth and love to one another. And that's our second point this morning, is that growth in godliness calls for speaking the truth in love. It, growth in godliness calls us to help one another grow. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. See, the world beckons to us in all kinds of ways. And the immature believer is tossed to and fro by every sort of teaching and doctrine. But this is where we're called to step into one another's lives and to say, no, that is not the truth about God. Let me show you another way. Let me remind you of what the God of all of the universe has declared to be true in this particular aspect. Verse 15 calls us to speak the truth and love to one another. This means that we are to build one another up through the particular words that we say. So we want to give great intentionality with the words that we use. We, look with me at verse 29. We want to skip ahead just a little bit. Verse 29, chapter 4 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for, for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Paul exhorts us to let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but to build one another up through speaking the truth in love. This means that we need to be a church that encourages, that challenges, that consoles, that rebukes, that counsels and exhorts and comforts one another with the truth of God's Word. We need to be a, a church in which everyone is speaking the truth to everyone else. Speaking the truth in love and community is so central to our growth in Godliness because we are prone to wander. We are prone to wander. We are enticed by our enraged emotions and our idolatrous desires. And what changes us is the truth of God's Word. The truth of Jesus sets us free by giving us new desires for God. So Paul calls us to speak the truth in love, which doesn't simply mean don't lie to one another. He's not simply saying don't tell fibs. But he's calling us to speak the truth of God to stop allowing one another to believe the lies that lead to sinful desires, which is what we often do. People bring their, their deceitful desires to us, and we can be tempted not to challenge them. We can be tempted to, to just go along with them. So somebody says, I'm mad today. My boss made me mad today. And they go on about their frustrating boss. And instead of asking whether their anger reflects the beauty of a holy God, um, or if it reflects our idolatrous, sinful desires, we might say, yeah, he sounds like a terrible boss. Man, if I was in that moment, I'd probably respond the same way too. And then we just go on. And we leave that unaddressed. People bring their complaints to us, and we simply join in the complaining. People tell us what they covet, and we agree that that's an idol worth worshiping because we say, oh man, I, I agree, that would, be, that would be pretty sweet to have. Instead, the truth that we're called to speak to one another is the truth in Christ. We're to remind one another of the greatness and the goodness of God in Christ Jesus. Where once we were dominated by the desires of the sinful nature, now we are new creations with new desires. Where once we were under Satan's control, now we are led by the Spirit. 
and where once we heard only the voice of the world, now we have the voice of the church. This is so crucial, brothers and sisters, because just this week, a dear friend of mine, who I've long respected and and benefited from much, uh, declared that he is no longer a Christian. He declared that uh, that the Bible has no, no more influence in his life. And I've had too many friends do this over the years, and each one is so painful to watch. I take comfort in the fact that this experience is not foreign to the Apostle Paul or Peter or Jesus himself. Each one of them knew what it was like to walk with people. You think of Paul with the, with the man Demas, who in one letter he is commended for the great value that he is as a gospel partner. And then later, Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, Even Demas now opposes me, for he has given into the love of the world. So we want to be aware that that is a pull that we're all vulnerable to. I read a uh, man, J- John Piper, this week, who is approaching his uh, 70th birthday coming up soon. He's walked with the Lord all his life. And he says the pull of the, of the world is still just as strong, if not stronger, on me at this point in my life than it was 50 years ago. And you think... My goodness, if I could walk with the Lord that long, surely the world would have no more pull on me. And that's just not the way that it is. Listen to what Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25 say. It says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We meet together so that we can encourage one another. We meet together so that we can strengthen one another and build one another up. We come together. What we're about to do in this room together, we're not about to have a private worship experience with the Lord. No, we come together to sing of His excellencies and to proclaim to one another how great is our God. So whenever we meet on Sunday in community group or over lunch, wherever it is, we're to remind one another of the greatness and the goodness of God, which calls for more than simply attending church on Sundays. We need to be sharing our lives together. We need a daily reminder of the truth. I'm sure that you all benefit, uh, like I do, from brothers and sisters uh, in this room and in this church who you can call up when you're having a hard day, or you can text and say, man, this is, this is a challenge I'm facing today. And, and somebody's able to speak the truth and love to you in that moment. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Listen to this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We're to encourage one another every day and to seek encouragement and strengthening every day because every day our hearts teeter on the brink of becoming sinful, unbelieving, hardened, and deceived. Every day we need brothers and sisters who who know us to speak the truth of God into our lives. Every day we must renounce the lie of self-sufficiency Self-sufficiency that declares that we don't need others because we're plenty strong enough and we've got this figured out. We want to be aware of that pride that doesn't like to be seen as weak. I, I don't like to be seen as weak. I like to be seen as strong, the one who can help everybody else but doesn't need other people. No, I am very needy. Every day I need reminders. Every day I look to this book 
and I talk to my wife or I talk to a brother or sister in Christ and receive nourishment and receive help and encouragement along the way. We aren't looking to others to function as our Redeemer, but we look to others to point us daily to Christ our Savior. Christ is our Savior. Our help and our hope comes from God's Word, but it's mediated through our brothers and sisters, the body of Christ that God has knit us in together with. So that leads to our final point. Growth in godliness requires the invitation of rebuke and repentance. It's been said by the man who wielded the hammer, Martin Luther, that all of life is repentance. The church is a community of confession, accountability, encouragement, and redemptive rebuke. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 calls us to gently restore those caught in sin and to simultaneously keep a watch on ourselves lest we also become tempted. Sin isn't just an individual concern. Sin is a community concern. My sin has a direct effect on the community, on this church as a whole. It stops us from growing together as the body of Christ, the way that God has called us to. It has an impact on every one of us. Even our private secret sins have an effect on the entire church. Remember the man Achan in Joshua chapter 7? This man kept certain treasure from the defeat of Jericho against God's call. But his sin did not remain secret. His sin led to defeat for the people of God. My sin stops me from playing the role that God has intended for me to play in this church. Which means that the church doesn't grow and reflect the beauty of God the way we're called to. It works the same for you. Every one of us, our sin has a community effect. Part of our problem is that we're so afraid of bringing the truth to one another in love. That when rebuke is needed, it can, because we never do it, it can lead to a, a moment of crisis and a, and a sense of confrontation that is very uncomfortable. You know, rather, we want to cultivate a regular habit of inviting this into our lives. A regular habit of identifying evidences of grace in one another's lives because it's, it's much easier to receive rebuke from a beloved brother or sister in Christ. Someone who you know is for you. Some sins thrive on secrecy like sins of escape. Those things that we do when we're under pressure. Or sins of the mind like bitterness and envy, jealousy or complaining. We can become very good at hiding them. But doing that only feeds them further, making them stronger, giving them an increased grip on our hearts. You feel bad about yourself and so you eat compulsively. You eat compulsively so you feel bad about yourself. You can't cope with life and so you escape into some form uh, or fashion, some other world. But your addiction makes the real world just seem that much harder. The fear exposure, the fear of exposure makes you withdraw from community altogether or you simply learn to pretend, to fake it. But that only cuts you off further from the help of others. One thing that I often tell people is that growth in godliness only takes place when these sins come out into the open. It's difficult, but confession to another Christian will be a significant step forward. You don't need to tell everyone, but you do need to tell someone. Sin thrives in secrecy. And what do you do in that 
great awkward moment when somebody confesses their sin to you. Open your eyes wide and you're not sure what to say. Ooh, this, is, this is awkward. You speak the truth in love. You don't tell them that their sin is understandable or insignificant. We don't say, oh, it's no big deal, or, oh, I, I do that too, don't worry about it. And we don't do that because that offers no comfort because it's a lie. It's not true. Sin's a big deal. But we can speak words of comfort because we can speak words of grace. We can call them to repent of their sin and to accept by faith the forgiveness that God freely offers. We can declare to them that in Christ their sins are forgiven. This is true comfort. And we can embody that forgiveness in the ongoing acceptance that we offer to them, the ongoing love that we express to them. We can explore, if we're able, the lies and the desires that led to their sinful desires and be proactive in offering accountability and help. And above all, we can point them to the grace and the glory of our Savior and our Redeemer, our King Jesus. It's important that we all pursue these kinds of relationships. It's important that we all have a Nathan in our lives. You remember Nathan who came to David with a word of rebuke? He did that in great trepidation, but he did it in faith and in love. Imagine what would have happened. Actually, you don't have to imagine what would have happened if he didn't have a David because Solomon didn't have a Nathan. And Solomon made a number of foolish choices and his kingdom came to ruin ultimately for the lack of having a Nathan in his life that would bring a word of rebuke. But David was rebuked by his friend and it led to his deliverance and his redemption. It led to deliverance for the people of Israel. We all need a Nathan in our life. Who is it in your life that knows you and that can and does question you, your motives, or they ask for an explanation of your actions when appropriate? This is what we want to work toward with one another. We, we need people to help point out areas in our lives that we are blind to. Because we, all, we all have blind spots. I have blind spots. I ask people regularly, if we have someone over to dinner or if we're... If we're you're out with somebody, I'll ask them at some point in the conversation, hey, do you have any observations for me about my marriage? Do you have any observations about the way that I interact with my kids? Because I'm aware that there can be moments where I might be harsh or unkind or ungracious, and I'm, I'm not aware of that. And so I need others to help me see that. Who are those people in your life that help you to grow in godliness? Who do you regularly confide in and confess your sins to that knows your particular areas of temptation and how you're specifically looking to grow and change? What opportunities do you have around you to play that role for somebody else? How can you make your existing friendships more intentional about helping one another to grow in Christ-likeness? Brothers and sisters, the church is God's intended context for change. The church is where we grow in godliness. The church is where God has given us gifts to build one another up in love and to receive from one another in faith. Our growth in godliness is a, com is a community project. We all need one another. Forget that is how God has designed it. Let's pray.